Okay. Welcome, everyone. I'm standing over here. Yes, I'm checking that this thing is recording. Okay, welcome. You need to be in Genesis chapter 1. As always, if you go to your mobile phones, there's an outline for you, but it'll be here on the PowerPoint. Just to say that we've spent a term, but obviously COVID has fooled us around, but we've spent a term in Genesis chapter 1, 1 to 4. And tonight, this is the end of that little thing we've done. And then it's holidays. And then in term two, our home groups launch. And there will all, I will be leading a Bible study as well uh, in term two. So just keep watching the website, listen to the announcements. Um, but this Saturday night uh, group is going to end. Uh, and we'll do home groups next term. All right. Here's our series coming to an end tonight, and it's, it all goes to Jesus. And for the 29th time, I'm going to read Genesis 1, 1 to 4, then I'll pray and we'll think about it. So listen to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. Let me pray. Father, we have spent a few weeks just in those verses thinking about so many things, which is odd for a Saturday. But we pray tonight, even on a Saturday, that we can just switch our brains on, think about these things, learn from you, and as we keep saying, why bother? What does it mean for us? Help us, we pray. Amen. And as I prayed, here is the logic of our series. What we've done is we've looked at the text of Genesis and we've drawn some things from it about God. But as you know, Genesis is the start of a story. And so in this course, we've done that. We look at the text we look at some things about God, but then we follow the story because it doesn't end there, as you know. Look how fat this book is. And it goes to a man called Jesus. And we've seen how it all leads to Jesus. And actually, Jesus leads back to the text. Why should we sit here tonight and study Genesis? Who here believes in Genesis? I mean, really, ask me. Someone ask me, why do you believe in Genesis? And the answer is this man, Jesus. Jesus said Genesis is the unchangeable word of God. That's why I believe Genesis, because I believe Jesus. So it, it's like, a, you know, but I won't go into that. But our logic is, even if we stopped at Jesus, we still need to answer this question. So what? Is this really just a, are you writing an exam on theology? I mean, you're not. So why bother? We've got to land here. So what? How does it affect my life. And for those of you who've been coming, this is part three of this one. Uh, so two weeks ago, we looked at God creates order. And then last week, we looked at God is the good. That's not my bad English, which is true as well, but that's deliberate. God is the good. And then tonight, and this is where we're going to end, God seeks relationship. Here's a good question for you to think about. Why did God create anything? Please don't say because he was unhappy or he was unfulfilled or he needed to. Why did God create in the first place? Well, I think the PowerPoint gives it away, <laughs> but uh, we're going to explore that. God, tonight, God seeks relationship. That's what we're going to see tonight. And by way of introduction, 
uh, because I started this as a kind of like a sermon series, but it, it's become a Bible study. So by way of introduction tonight, did you know there are many creation myths? And people will look at Genesis chapter 1 and say, that is the Judeo-Christic. And actually a lot would say Islam, because Islam is very based on Judaism, you know. Uh, Muhammad was so impressed with the Jewish people. And he was very influenced by Christian Jewish people. Uh, but any event, there are lots of creation myths. And people would say this is one of them. And you might, in fact, there are so many myths. So what people have done is they've grouped them, and there's some debate, into six basic types of creation myths. Six types of myths that all have a similar thing to it, you know. And I, 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 was, I was actually going to tell you them, but then I thought you'd be so bored, I won't. But uh, I find it very interesting, uh, lots of them. But one of those creation myth categories is ex nihilo. And those of you who've been coming would know what that means. It means out of nothing. A lot of the myths are not creation out of nothing. There was stuff there already. In fact, the Greek people, uh, like uh, the ancient Greeks, believed that everything was eternal. Nothing was created. It's, it's always been there, for example, some ancient Greeks. Um, the, one of the myths uh, categories is ex nihilo, and the Bible and, and uh, Judaism falls squarely in there. Now, I know you're sitting on your chair uncomfortable because you're thinking, oh, Dwayne, are you saying this is a myth? Or you could be uncomfortable because the chair's uncomfortable. But that's not what I mean. No, I don't believe this is a myth because of this man, Jesus. I think this is actually true. It's not a myth. Um, and I'm not going to go into apologetics now, which is my fun sport. But I will say this. What you have in front of you is absolutely unique. And this I'm going to stress. They, people love to have all these myths. And why they do that is if you can put Genesis there with all these other myths, what you do is you devalue it. You can dismiss it as, oh, look, it's just another myth. But if you're honest and you read them, you will see that this is in a class of its own. It is absolutely unique. There's nothing like it. And I could tell you lots why it's unique, but I'm just going to tell you two things quickly. First of all, it is unique. Hey, Naveen, you've missed all the philosophy, dude. Because uh, that's the part Ludwig loves the most. But this myth of creation, we're in Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, yeah, it's in that big fat book there. It's unique for uh, lots of reasons, but the two I want to pick on tonight is this. First of all, internal consistency. If you read all the creation myths, they are internally inconsistent. Because it's, it's a myth, right? So it doesn't have to be consistent. So, for example, the gods did this one myth. And on the other hand, they also did this maybe. And, and there's no problem with inconsistency because it's a myth, right? It doesn't matter. Uh, Islam, uh, which is more ex nihilo category of myths, Islam has an absolute inconsistency. If you read the Quran, God made Adam out of clay with his hands. God formed Adam with his hands. But later on in the Quran, it distinctly says that God made Adam out of a clot of blood. For it, so uh, maybe Muslims can resolve that. I'm just saying it's an inconsistency. This creation account is unique because it has no inconsistencies in the creation account. But that's not what I want to focus on tonight. Here's what I want to focus on tonight. The most unique thing about this creation account is this, and that's what we're going to focus on tonight. 
God creates through his words. He speaks and things happen. And if you look at all those categories of myths, I'm telling you, did you know that most of them have water, like Genesis 1 verse 1? Most of them have this chaotic element, as we've seen uh, uh, three weeks ago when we studied that one. But none of them, not one, has the idea that God says, let there be light. That, that is unique, absolutely unique. And the question tonight is why? Why is this so emphasized that God said, and God said, and God said, and, and you and I have done this over the weeks, and God said, I don't need to show you, verse 9, verse 11, verse 14, uh, verse 20, verse 24, verse 26. God said. Why is there this, does it matter, Dwayne? Are you making a big deal? Does it matter? Why doesn't God use his hands? Or a Ryobi? Because it wasn't invented. But seriously, what's the big deal? And why is it so unique? Well, the PowerPoint gives the game away completely. Part three, so you already knew. Is because God <coughs> is relational. And that's what we saw quite a while back, about five weeks ago. Jesus teaches us that God is relational. God is a community of persons. And it is normal for every human being, when they hear that sentence, God is a community of persons, it is normal for every person here to think, are you saying there's more than one God? That is human, that is normal. But that's not true. When we say God is a community of persons, we do not mean that there's more than one God. There is only one God. There is one being. But that one being is a community of three persons. Not three beings. There's only one God. But three persons within that one being. And each of those three persons are, and we did this, remember, about five weeks ago. Each of those persons is eternally God. So look at Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God. Every human being can understand that. That makes sense. Created the heavens and the earth. The earth was our form. Darkness was a. But here comes the problem. And the Spirit of God. Oh, wow. Oh, there's two. There's two. By the way, that's one of the creation myths. The twins. It's uh, in, oh, I'm boring you now. But I find it very interesting because it's, they've actually got no direct writing, but it's the early Indo-European creation myth, and they get it from comparisons. It's very fascinating, I think. But it's these twins. Actually, in, in, in Hinduism, those are the two twins. Two twins created an embryo, and that embryo gave birth to the creator god, who is Brahma, and Brahma made the world. So there's your two twins myth. But, oh, look, same as the Bible, because there's two. God created and the Spirit of God. Unfortunately, verse 3, and God said. Right away. So what you have in the Bible is there are inescapably three. I don't even know what to call them. I do now, but I'm saying reading thus far. There are three things. <laughs> I don't Three, who existed prior to everything else existing. God, the Spirit, and the Word of God. Before anything existed. We know, because we've done the work, how we've gone to Jesus and He, ah, he makes it clear to us. It is the Father, the Spirit, and the Word. And that Word became flesh. That's how we know. If he didn't become flesh, how would we know? We know now. All right. God is relationship. And Jesus teaches us 
that that relationship of Father, Spirit, and Word, and you know the Word became Jesus, is a relationship of love. That is the characteristic, the nature of that relationship. It is a relationship of love. Love is what it is. God is love. So God creates through his word, everything that was made, we saw this. Uh, you came late, Naveen, but tonight we're wrapping up our series. Uh, but we saw that, and I shouldn't say your name, Bob, because this is being recorded. Um, everything God made, he made through his word. God created everything through Jesus Christ. Okay. God seeks relationships. That's the point that we are going to stress tonight. Here is a God who seeks relationship. It's a beautiful question. I looked it up this week. Why did Allah create? And I read a couple of imams. And why did God create? And I want to suggest to you the Christian answer. He seeks relationship. And I'm going to show that to you because I don't want you to think that God was lonely. I'll show you. Now, this is why the Genesis account is so unique. God creates through words because words are the key to self-disclosure, to self-revelation. If you want to reveal yourself to someone, you will have to use words. You will have to use words. If you're a person, if you're a labradoodle, you could reveal yourself in other ways that you'll have to pick up afterwards. But persons have to reveal themselves through words. Which tells me that since God created through words, Whatever else God must be, he must be a person. So if you want to know me, Dwayne, I don't know why, I am a person. If you really want to know me, you will have to ask me to tell you about myself. There's no other way. You could talk to my children, you'll get a good picture. You could talk to others, you'll get a good picture. You could talk to the guy who performed a lobotomy on me. He'll give you a good picture too. But I can give you the authentic picture. Don't you hate it when someone wants to find out about you and they go and ask someone else? Don't you want to say to him, hey, do, do, don't, don't talk. You want to know about me? Ask me, don't. Yeah? Same with God. Prophets, preachers, and teachers can tell us a lot about God. But only God can reveal himself. Only God. And Christianity is based on the fact that God has done that because the Word became flesh. If the Word did not become flesh, we would be on the same level as Islam. The only reason you believe in Allah is because you trust a man called Muhammad. Your entire faith is dependent on another homo sapien. That that guy gets God right. And that's a choice you, you can freely make. Christians don't do that. We don't trust another man. We believe God himself came to earth and revealed himself and endorsed what the prophets and preachers before him had said. God's created by speaking in order to reveal himself. And that's going to go to where we're going tonight. I've got a great line for you. The universe is nothing other than God expressed. What a good, you might not, that might not hit you, but it hit me. The universe is nothing other than God expressed. You sit at night under those stars and you look at them. 
they are God. They aren't God, but that is God's expression of himself to you. The heavens declare the glory of God. And you might say, no, Dwayne, because I often sit under the stars and I don't see it. Well, that reminds me of a great story where uh, someone was looking at it. Look at that picture there. Someone was looking at a painting like that and they were going, that is magnificent. I, I, and someone said, I don't see all that. Here's a great line. And the person said, don't you wish you could? That's a good line. In other words, if you can see, you can see. If you can't see, it's not because it's because of your sight. Anyway, so, creation reveals God. God said, let there be light, and there were light. But, even though God created by his words, and creation is an expression of God, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough because if I sent you an email, hi, from Dwayne, the pain, this is Dwayne, blah, blah, my email to you will tell you a lot about me. No question. I got this email from Dwayne. He really must be an idiot because you, he, my email to you will tell you a lot about me, but not as much as if I came to you and we spoke. We spoke. And the Bible is the story of God not just creating through his words, but coming to people and speaking to them. Not everyone. God came and spoke to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the prophets, etc., but because we're in Genesis, I want to show you first and foremost that God came to Adam and Eve and spoke to them. Now hear this. Once again, in that list of creation myths, this is another unique feature of Christianity, is that in the creation myths, you don't find, firstly, the creator does not create through words. But secondly, you don't find the creator then talking to people. It doesn't happen. Because the creator is not really interested in you. He made you and whatever, do your own thing. Not in Christianity. And so God creates. But he comes and he, astonishingly, speaks to the people he has created. So, this I'm taking from Genesis chapter 1. You'll see a couple of verses here. So God created man. In his own image. I want to keep saying that the man there in the Bible, over there, is both male and female. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That line up there is in other creation myths. There is a creation. Now, where is it? Where is it? because I'm going off here at a tangent. Ah, Mesopotamia. There's a creation myth that says two gods decided to create people because they wanted to leave a legacy of themselves. Um, so that's not unique to Christianity, God making man in his own image. Here's what's totally unique. Can you believe male and female? Really? I mean... That is just so countercultural. When this was written, no one thought that male and female were equal. As I've often told you, Plato the Great truly believed that men and women were different species. But the Bible won't have that. The Bible says they're the same. Male and female, God created them. But here's what God did. And God blessed. It is fun to be created by God. If you evolved, who's going to bless you? Where's your blessing? Sucks to you. You don't have a blessing. If you have a creator who made you deliberately, purposefully, he blesses you. God blessed them. Now watch this. And once again, God's. This is someone who's, 
you know, if you're a, a pretty girl and you're at IGA and this dude comes and talks to you, hi, uh, sorry, do you know where the toilets are found? Yeah. And then you shop and he comes back, hi, do you know where the cereal is? Yes, it's in the thing. Hi, do you know where the bananas is? This dude is onto me. He wants, you know? Well, God just doesn't stop talking to people. He's obviously on. He wants a relationship. And he says to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. This subdue is very interesting. Tells me that there was something wrong there. There's going to be a fight, even before the fall. There's some bad there, but I don't have time on that. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of heaven, over every living thing. You're the boss, but I'll keep talking to you. And look what God does further on. God said, I, I, I say this respectfully, the Christian God is talkative. It's a talkative God. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face. Andrea, I didn't want to say her name because it's been recorded. Just pay attention. Is that guy needs to eat? Um, every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. But look at this. This is astonishing. Watch this. God says, Look. Look. But it's not enough. I have to explain it to you as well. And that's the problem with people. They think behold is enough. I say, Open my eyes, I'll understand. I can judge the world by the way I see it, every teenager. Don't worry, mom and dad. I'm going to open my eyes and I'll judge it the way I see it. God says, no. I need to interpret it for you. I know you see. Your seeing's good. God's not saying you're blind. You can see. But let me help you understand. And the Lord God, wow, he still speaks. And he commands the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. The first thing we see is that God's words are stupendously generous. God is so kind. If he speaks, you know, if God speaks to you, you know good is coming. Because that's his nature. I've given you every, wow. Thank you. Not, you can just have plums and, and the proper pronunciation, lychees. Um, uh, no, you can have everything. And then God's words also protect us. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. It's only one tree. How many trees in the world are there? But you can't eat that one. Wow, that's incredible. I'd say God's pretty generous. And be and the reason I don't want you to eat that tree is because I'm selfish and I just feel like it's nice to give you rules that make no sense. No, because the day you eat that, you'll die. What's God saying? God says, I love you. I want you to live. My words will make you live. If you disobey my words, you'll die. God's words are not taking away our freedom. God's words are there to our freedom. This is philosophy, and this is where I get boring. Logically, any creature has boundaries. Logic. Only a creator can be boundless. You know, but anyway. Now, here's the astonishing thing. All that's in Genesis 1, 27, 29, 2, 16. The amazing thing is that they fall which I'm not going to do tonight, but uh, the man and the woman stop listening to God's words and instead they listen to another voice. I, I take it that human beings have got two ears and one mouth for a reason. Uh, my wife reminds me. But the reason is because we, we live our lives listening. I know you think you live your life speaking, but the truth is we listen more. Well, we should. And so they heard God, but they decided to hear somebody else. And, and that's the problem. You'll never stop listening. No one comes up with this stuff by themselves. And so this other person speaks, the serpent, and he twists God. 
Because whenever you add to God's words, you change God. Don't you hate it when someone goes to someone else and says, Hey, uh, who should I? Uh, no, I won't say names being recorded. But let's pretend your name's Bob. And, and someone says, Hey, Bob said this. And you go, I never said that. Don't. I never said that. It's an annoying feeling. And that's the same as God. Whenever someone puts words in your mouth, they twist who you are. Because your words reveal who you are. That's why we do not believe in revelation after the Bible. That's why I have a problem with Christians who say to you, God told me to tell you. The reason I don't like it is not just because they're silly. It's because you are twisting God. If you say God said that, you are recreating God. Because his words reveal him. Be careful. Do not add to his words or take away from his words. Okay. But so they fall. And the relationship is broken. And even though it's broken, can you believe it? God still comes. And he still speaks to them. Who here knows how to get the silent treatment? I'm not going to mention names. But um, a silent treatment, wow. That's, that's, if you can keep it up longer than an hour. I, I do, I'm like, that's it. I'm never talking to her again. And five minutes later, I'm talking. But uh, if you can do it properly, it's a real serious thing. Well, God can't. Because after they fall, instead of giving the silent treatment, look how kind God is. So the man and... Oh, wrong thing. The man and his wife, this is after they've fallen, hide themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the suburbs of Perth. Sorry, uh, among the trees of the garden. People are not looking for God. Bible's very clear. There are none who seek God. We're hiding from God. And, and here's the great thing. What's the best thing to hide? You can hide behind a tree. What's the best thing to hide behind? Suffering. Man, if you suffer, that's the best tree. Because then you've got reason to hide from God. See? That's how, how twisted our minds are, you know? Anyway, so they hide behind the trees of the garden. Now watch what God does. And the Lord God, look, he doesn't stop talking. The Lord God called. Here is the God who is, he's not playing hide and seek. He's playing seek. There's no hide. And so the Lord God called to the man and said to him, God speaks and God says these three words, which we could spend a couple of weeks on, I think. Where are you? What, what the... Where are you? And the, you won't get the meaning of these words if you think God didn't know where they were. If you think God really didn't know. Now, where did I put that man? I can't remember. So look, where are you is an existential, piercing emotional, heartfelt question. Where are you? Not, yeah, here I am beyond the tree. Where are you in your mind? Where are you in your heart? What are you doing? You know, it is a heart. Here is a God who seeks relationship. It's so obvious. Genesis 3, 8 to 9. And so, God calls out and seeks sinners. And that God seeking sinners, remember our logic. Our logic is we look at the text, we see what it says, we follow the story through to Jesus, who not only finishes what it's saying, but makes sense of what it's saying, and then later, so what? But if you follow the story that I've just told you about God seeking sinners, that story runs through the whole Bible. So that by the time you get to Jesus, what is he doing here on this planet? Why have you come here? Well, Jesus says, I have come to seek and save the lost. You see, when God shouted out, where are you? I'm here behind the tree. Well, actually, they didn't do that. And so in the end, God sent Jesus to go look behind the tree. 
Jesus is the one who came to seek and save the lost. And as Jesus says again and again, I haven't come for the righteous. I've come for the sinners. God seeks relationship. That's our point tonight. But we want to go one level deeper. Do I need to pause for questions at this point? Uh, do you need a break? Do you need some caffeine? Everyone okay? Because we do. We could go finish and then have coffee. What do you guys want? What do you want? Keep going. Oh, well, if the mum of the child says keep going, we go. All right, let's go deeper. One level deeper and then we'll be done. Why does God seek... Okay, Dwayne, I think you've overproved your case. God seeks relationship. Why? Why? Is he lonely? You know, if God was a monad, do you know what a monad is? A monad is me and you. A monad is some sentient creature or non-creature that is one person and one being. That's a monad. One person, one being. If God was a monad, like Allah, Allah is a monad, maybe he is lonely. So he creates to, I'm getting tired of my own voice. I think I'll create some people. Then I'll hear chatter. It won't be so quiet around here. Or whatever. Well, it can't be that because God lives in relationship. God is not a monad. He is a triune God, one being in three persons. So why is he seeking relationship? What can any of you give to God that he doesn't get from Jesus and the Holy Spirit? Or what can you give to Jesus that he doesn't get from the Father? And, and what can you, blah, blah, what can you give? Acts 17 says nothing. Um, so why does he seek a relationship? And the answer, come on, tell me. I'll give you a clue. One word. Just one word. What? All right. You are preaching next week. Because that's my favorite comeback line. That's the answer right there. And you didn't hear it because of the mask. The answer is love. Love is not about taking. Love is about giving. That's why God created. Not to get, but to give. Because that's what love does. Love gives without any desire to get back. That's what love does. Love is expansive. Love is contaminate. No, that's the wrong word. What is uh, COVID? Infectious. Love is like Omicron. It spreads. Love is infectious. God created people in his image to spread the love. That's all. To spread the love. And there's the Heidelberg Catechism, which you all know of by heart, um, which says, what is the chief end of man? What is the purpose of man? And the answer is, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, enjoyment is the essence of love. When you love something, the essence of that love is a delight in that thing, an enjoyment in it. God created us to glorify him and enjoy him forever as he enjoys his people. God created, oh, uh, should I get controversial? God created because he loved. Which one came first? Creation or love? Do you think for a moment God created and then saw, oh, Dwayne. Well, I think, I think, you know what, people? I think I'm falling in love with this guy. You know? Do you think that happened? Do you think God created and I was such an amazing husband and such a perfect father that God said, you know what, I can't stop myself. I'm falling in love with this guy. Or do you think God loved me and then create. What does Jeremiah say? I have loved you with an everlasting love. Why is that controversial, Dwayne? 
So I tell you, but will you run out? That's why I believe in predestination. That's why I believe in election. Obviously, because God loved first. Not he looked at you and decided. He loved first before you existed. Love comes first. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Now, if we go back to Genesis, we're nearly done. If you go back to Genesis 1, what you're going to see is a sliver of God's heart. But as we follow our logic, we're going to see this love fully displayed when Jesus comes to earth. Look at Genesis 1, 1 to 4. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, void, darkness over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And watch this. God said, let there be light. And there was light. In all religions, all over the world, light is a universal symbol for love, for life, for, if you even in comics, you've got a heart that's full of love, it's either red or white. And if it's dark, it means hate. Now this runs through the Bible. We nearly finished. I'm going to take you to, a, not a well-known passage, but it should be well-known. Proverbs chapter 8. That's why I read Genesis to you. Watch this. The Lord possessed, this is Proverbs 8 verse 22. The Lord possessed me, and I put in brackets, that's not in the Bible, I put it in brackets there, wisdom. Because it is wisdom that is speaking. And wisdom says, the Lord possessed me. What did the Greeks call wisdom? Does anyone know? Logos. You'll see now. That's why Logos became flesh. The word became flesh. You'll see now. So the Lord possessed me, wisdom, at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old. Ages ago. I mean, this is weird. Who's talking? It's wisdom. But who are you? I was set up at the first. Before the beginning of the earth. Oh. Then I was beside him. That's a strange way. So I was the I, wisdom was there, and I was beside God. That sounds like someone who would say something like this. Uh, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. That's, that's John 1. Then I was beside him like a master workman. Now watch this. And I was daily his delight. For all eternity, God the Creator looked at wisdom, whoever that is, and delighted in wisdom. I was his delight. But wisdom was rejoicing before him, always. Always means wisdom is eternal. And so wisdom was delighting in the Father. Here are Father and wisdom, or oh, stop saying Father, Dwayne. God and wisdom delighting in each other forever. This is amazing. Rejoicing in his inhabited world. Well, uh, you know, there was only Adam and Eve, so that makes two. It's not very inhabited. Well, no, because this is, as you're going to see, in, in, in contrast to people, this person delighted in tadpoles. This is the crazy. Is that the word delighted in all creatures, all creations. If you think David Attenborough gets off on nature, you should see wisdom. Wisdom loved it. He loved everything God made. Everything was just a source of endless, beautiful joy and wonder. But especially delighting in people, the children of man. In other words, here is wisdom personified, just loving creation, but especially people. Now, that carries on. 
Because by the time we get to John, and we've often gone to John, because I've told you before, John 1 to 18 is a commentary on Genesis 1. But uh, he came to his own. There's lots of levels there. It's not just that Jesus was Jewish, which is true, and he came to the Jewish people, which is true, but it's people. He was a homo sapien. He became flesh, and he came to flesh. And his own people did not receive him. I mean, the tragedy of that, it can't really be exaggerated, you know. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, which is an odd phrase, and I don't have time to explain, he gave the right. Here's the astonishing thing. If God is seeking relationship and and Jesus comes to us. He gives us a relationship, not as slaves. Imagine if you said to Jesus, okay, I believe you. All right, you can be my slave. Well, thank you. Imagine Jesus, I believe you. Okay, you can be my pet. Well, thank you. You know? Where in the, where in the world is there another religion where he gives you the right to become children of God? If God seeks relationship, he seeks the closest relationship. The relationship of a child to a parent. It, it, how, how can it get closer than that? God seeks relationship. It's not, you stand there, I'll stand here, let's have a relationship. That's autism. You know, I know. God says, no, you're going to be in my family. But you know what? It gets even better than that. If, John 14, if anyone loves me, and that's Christianity, I, I, I'll never stop beating my drum. Believing in Jesus is not Christianity. If anyone loves me, this is a man, he will keep my word. Why did you bring that in? You spoilt everything. I just like your cooking. No, because it is the word that reveals who I am. And if you keep my word, then you truly love me. If you don't listen to what I say, you do love me, but it's not really me. Something you've got in your head. So if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him. Here it comes. God seeks relationship, right? Look at this. And we will come to him and make, I can't believe this, our home with him. God seeks relationship, right? But he comes and lives there. It becomes his home. I, I, I find this staggering that God should say, I will live in you. I would choose, I don't know, Bali or something. God said, I've never been there. God says, no, I choose you. I will live in you. And that is the God who seeks relationship. Oh, wrong way. Astonishing, yeah. I wanted to close with this thought. Isn't it amazing that Jesus is the wisdom of God who loved, who, who is the light of the world, who in him is life, the life of man, John 1, we saw that a while ago. But isn't it amazing, this line here, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Jesus Christ loves life. He's into life. You see that all the time. In him was life. And that life was the light of the world. John commenting on Genesis 1, 1 to 3. So isn't it amazing that this person should come into the world and give up his life? The astonishing thing is that Jesus should enter his world and die. The very thing that is the worst conceivable thing to him. And he died in order to bring us to God. God seeks relationships so much that he breaks the relationship.
between father and son so that he can have a relationship with you and I. When Jesus died, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which doesn't mean God's being split. That's not possible. Jesus was still God on the cross. But in the fellowship of father and son, there was for the first time and the only time in all eternity a breakdown in relationship. God tore his heart apart so that you and I could have a relationship with him. I said that joy is the essence of love. Well, can it get any closer than this? Do you know, I'm suddenly thinking of last, who did I say that I liked Slipknot? That should not have been recorded. Well, since I did say that, and it's true, and not all their songs, tonight I shall redeem myself. So what? Dwayne, that's lovely. So what? Well, instead of Slipknot, tonight I shall quote Taylor Swift. It's a love story. Just say yes. That's the so what. It's Taylor Swift. It's a love story. Just say yes. The only so what left for you and I is to just say yes. Not hide behind the tree, but say yes. In fact, and I'm going to close with this thought. Should I? Actually, no, it'll be a side issue. That's actually the language of covenant. I was going to tell you the story about Samuel. Here am I. But I won't go there. I'll, go, I'll, I'll leave you with this thought. So what? Here's what. Your eternal destiny, even your earthly destiny, will determine, be determined, on whether you say yes or no. Because God said to Adam and Eve, where are you? God says in Isaiah 35, come, come. Jesus comes to sinners. He says, come to me, all of you. But I want to tell you, there is a day coming where you're never going to believe this, where God says, go away. Go. Depart from me. And so what means if we don't accept that relationship, God is going to give us exactly what we ask for. No relationship. And that's the most tragic thing that can happen to a human soul. Is God says, you don't want me, I've got nothing else to give you. Go. That is the so what. Right. Well, uh, let me stop that and then I'll take any questions if there are. So let me walk over here and push stop on this recording.